0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Isn't it pretty in here? Yeah, lots of people have been working hard this week here at the Vineyard. You guys like our new lights? Uh, I also want you to know, before I even start my message, we have two new uh, art installations here at the Vineyard. I hope you noticed them in the cafe. Uh, did you see the, the bronze mixed-media pieces with the crosses and whatnot? Those are, those are new. Uh, uh, Bill, give us a what up, Bill. Yeah. And then um, then also you'll notice there's a painting to the left of it. Uh, that is Barry Morrison. You guys know Barry? He's our, he's our resident Johnny Cash. And uh, I, I don't think Barry's here this morning, which is too bad. I'll have to catch him next week. We'll make him stand up and embarrass him as well. But Barry did that. And uh, we got a talented crew here at the Vineyard. Like people do stuff. And we want to use our walls to put it up. So if you do good things, we've got walls for you. If what you do isn't good, just keep doing it. And then when it gets better, come see me, okay? Or we'll put it on the back of the bathroom doors. We'll start there. That's, the, that's where we start. Hey, we're going to look at some scripture this morning from isaiah we're going to read two verses here that we've actually already read this morning and we're going to do a little bit of out loud meditation through the scripture Uh, you know what out loud meditation through the scripture is don't you it's preaching we're gonna we're gonna do some meditation together hopefully a little bit and unpack a few things about god couple verses, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You should underline that word, that phrase. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You can underline that as well, we're going to be looking at that this morning. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a prophetic word that the prophet Isaiah received, gave, and wrote down about 700 years before Jesus ever showed up. 700 years. Some things in God just take a long time, like a really long time. Like if, if, if some of the stuff you've been waiting on from God has taken more than six months, you should relax. Some stuff takes hundreds of years. And by the way, you understand that when Isaiah prophesied this and wrote this, he probably actually had no idea what was going to happen. He had no, he had no concept of what was really going to take place. If there's some stuff in your life that doesn't make much sense right now, that's okay. Like, it's totally okay. Some things that don't make sense are going to make sense. Some things that God has promised you are going to take a while. We we should just relax. And in this scripture, Isaiah promises a couple things. He promises that God is going to come, but he also promises that God is going to bring his kingdom. And we know that he's talking about his kingdom because twice here in the scripture, if you want to look up there you can see it, twice you see the word government, there in the middle of verse 6 and then there at the very beginning of verse 7 you see the word government and when you see the word government you should just read for that kingdom of God, God's rule and his reign. So Isaiah promises the coming of God but also the coming of his kingdom. But then as well the part that's actually probably most important is that Isaiah doesn't just Promise the coming of God and not just the coming of his kingdom, but Isaiah throws in some descriptors. He begins to show us at least a little bit of what God is like and what his kingdom is like. Now, in my experience, this is probably the most important part because this is not everybody's experience, but it is mine. Um, In my experience, at least as a pastor for the last several years, most people that I meet are not so concerned about whether or not God exists. The question that really haunts people is, what is what is He like? What is He like? Uh, honestly, the, the, the question that sits underneath most atheists' objections to God is what God is like. If you engage most agnostic and atheist people in an honest discussion, one of the reasons that they've given up on the idea of God is is they've given up on the idea of a God who's a really mean person and tricks you in the end. And by the way, a lot of us grew up in church believing that the God we served was sort of a mean guy who's going to trick some people in the end and maybe he was going to include some other people and just gets really nervous. See, for me, the, the fundamental question is not, is there a God? It's, what's he like? That's the troubling thing. Most people who have rejected him have actually rejected him because of what we told him they were like. What we told them he was like. I speak for a living. So this gets down to roots. What's God actually like? Well, the first thing that we see here in the scripture is that God's a person. God's a person. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. He's a person. He's not an idea. Lots of people have rejected God because we have told them that he was an idea. God's not an idea. He's a person. He's personal, he's relational. He's a son, uh, meaning he's one of us. It's one of the reasons that in the book of Isaiah, right before this passage, Isaiah promises that the virgin is going to give birth to a son and she'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. See, one of the issues here is this, is that once you come to realize that there is a God, humanity's knee-jerk reaction is that God is against us. It's actually a gift of the Spirit And it takes revelation, it takes help from God to realize that God is for us and not against us and that he's with us and not away from us. This is the big stuff. Humanity all over the world, if people believe there is a God, they mostly believe that he's against us. So what we see this morning is that God is not an idea, he's a person. And he's with us. He's not away from us. And He's for us. He's not against us. I've met so many people who live with a flinching heart. I'll guarantee you there's some flinching hearts in the room this morning. Here's what I mean by flinching heart. A flinching heart is is a heart that has one eye squinted and is sort of looking up certain that a heavenly whack is coming. Like, most people's conception of who God is is that He's the guy who is sometimes good to people and is sometimes not as good, that he's capricious and that you could either get blessed or you could get whacked and there may not be a lot of difference between why or how that came. It's all mysterious. And you just live anxious, nervous with a flinching heart. But here we get a picture of who God is. We get a picture of what he's really like. And, and we need to come to this stuff over and over again. Uh, Probably one of the things that we talk about most consistently here here at the vineyard is we talk about what God is like over and over again. We talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like over and over again. And the reason that we do this is because just like people have physical reflexes, people also have internal, psychological, spiritual, and soul reflexes. And most of our psychological, internal, soul, and spirit reflexes, when they relate to God, are not kicking in a good direction. And what we need to do is, just like an athlete trains trains by same swing over and over again, same swing over and over again, same throw over and over again, same shot, what we need to do is we need to, do, we need to build some spirit muscle memory. That's why athletes train in the same thing, over and over and over and over again. How many how many shots do you guys think that LeBron James has taken in his life? Is it countable? Probably not. See, and what's what's really interesting about that is is that LeBron James is probably one of the four or five f- most freakish athletes in the world naturally. And yet he has to what? Put in the time And develop the motion, develop the motion, develop the motion, develop the memory, develop the memory, develop the memory. You and I don't naturally want to do this. And we don't naturally want, we're not naturally gifted at just being able to throw a, a ball in a little bucket at distance with somebody in our face. We need to work on that. And in the very same way, we need to develop some spirit memory. We need to develop some internal soul memory when it comes to who God is when we start talking about Him and His kingdom. So that we don't live with a flinching heart. So that we we don't live with uh, reflexes that actually take us out of line with God and His kingdom. And so Isaiah says that a child would be born and and that this son would be Jesus. And then it says something interesting. And this is really what I want to talk about this morning. Two things. It says, number one, that the government or the kingdom of God would be upon His shoulder. Now, this is a picture and I want you to see this. Imagine Jesus. Imagine him, especially this time of year, imagine him as a baby. Tiny. Frail and weak. Part of the Christmas story that blows me away is that Jesus could have died at any moment if he had had a bad mom. What it, see, we talk about having faith in God. God is, the, is one of the people in the universe who first had faith in people. What if Mary had been a terrible mother? She could have killed Jesus. Jesus. Imagine tiny Jesus, weak and frail. And the scripture says that the government, the kingdom of God would be upon his shoulder. And so what we have here is that we have a picture. And the picture is that Jesus is the foundation of God's kingdom. It rests on his shoulders. <clears throat> now, if Jesus is the foundation of the kingdom, and I believe he is, it would be really important for you and I to consider what sort of government or what sort of kingdom could be built upon. Could be built upon that kind of foundation. One of the considerations that you and I need to spend a little time with is what sort of government, what sort of kingdom would naturally spring up from a Jesus foundation. If Jesus is the foundation and he is what would naturally be built on top. We got a lot of builders in the room. Had, a, had had even more builders in the first service. The vineyard has always been two things. Educators and builders. That's that's like who hangs out with us. Educators, builders and tattooed musicians. That's basically who comes here. But every good builder knows that the foundation determines a lot in terms of what can be constructed on top. And the foundation determines what can be constructed on top, not just in terms of dimension, in terms of length and width. Once you pour a foundation that is so wide and so long, that's what you're going to build. But it also determines how tall you can go and how big you can go up because of how deep that foundation may in fact be. There's so much that gets determined by the foundation. And here Isaiah is saying, God is with us. God is for us. He is one of us. And he is the very foundation of God's kingdom. In every single way, Jesus determines what can go on top. And we begin to ask, well, what can go on top? Well, Isaiah begins to hint at a couple of things. And the first thing he says in verse 7 is this. That of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. God's kingdom, the thing that gets laid on top of Jesus, is a growing kingdom. A growing kingdom. God's kingdom is growing. Jesus is a foundation for suitable growth. It's the only one suitable for forever growth. If you or I want to be a part of something that's going to last forever, we have got to figure out ways to tie our life into Jesus. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. God's kingdom is growing. Growing of the increase, there will be no end. God has this idea, and it's an idea that He really loves, and it's the idea that He wants to see His kingdom grow and grow and grow. God has a dream, and His dream is that the entire universe would be a Jesus shaped universe. Now, sometimes the growth in God's kingdom is slow, sometimes the growth seems to be hidden, and I say seems to be because everybody in here who's the least bit honest knows. That even though the scriptures declare that God's kingdom is going to grow and it's never going to end, everybody who's the least bit honest in the room knows that sometimes it feels like God's not doing anything. Right? Sometimes it feels like God's not doing anything. Well, I would like to declare to you this morning that there has never been a time in history when God was doing nothing. And even when you go to a charismatic meeting and hear a prophetic person stand up and talk about what God is going to do, He has, he has never done, he, he, we have never lived in a moment where God was going to suddenly start doing things as if he were not doing them already. Ever, ever. So to stand up in a meeting and prophesy about what God is going to do, we could do that every single day. And we actually, we should, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that sometimes those kinds of, uh, those kinds of declarations make us believe that perhaps we're living in a moment when God's not doing anything. That's hogwash. He's doing all kinds of things. Now, it may be small, it may be slow and it may be hidden, but he's absolutely at work. And in fact, slow, small and hidden is mostly God's favorite. Now, you know, we're 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 the vineyard. Um we're we're some kind of a weird combination of traditional evangelical and and charismatic pentecostals. Like we say yes to all of it. Uh, you know, we look at baptists and say yes, and we look at pentecostals and we say yes. Like That's just who we are. And because of that, we we do things like at the end of every meeting, like we try to spend some time praying for sick people. If you're sick this morning, we're going to pray for you if you want us to. Like, we love that. We've seen God do crazy things. Uh, One of the troubles with that is sometimes um, our expectation that God wants to do something in the room and that it's... Uh, our expectation that God would do something sudden, and by the way, he does do s- sudden things. They're some of my favorite things. I could tell you stories all morning long. But sometimes our expectation that he would do something like that actually blinds us to the way that he most often works, which is slow, hidden, and subtle. Happens all the time. And so what it's required is God's kingdom is growing. Sometimes it seems like it's not. But what's required is that we get new eyes. It's required that we look at things in a new way or learn to look in a new area. Consider this. When God sent his son, when he sent Jesus, Jesus was, is, and always has been the prince of the universe. And Jesus didn't show up in Herod's palace. And he didn't walk the streets of Rome. And he didn't wear a gold ring. And he didn't have a crown. He was born in a barn. See, God is oftentimes working right underneath the noses of people who are looking in a completely different area. Like who would have thought that the prince of the universe would be born in a hay barn with cows and sheep? See, even right now, God is probably working in every single person's life in the room, but we think it's going to be in Louisville or we think it's going to be in Nashville. And the truth is, it's probably in the yuckiest part of your property and the yuckiest part of your heart, in the worst part of your family where you've been most disappointed and where people have been the rudest. Right? Where people have been jerks, where you've been a jerk. When a king shows up, there's usually a herald. Someone who comes out and announces the king, tells everybody who he is and where he's from. Jesus came with a herald, but it was a different variety. The stars declared his arrival and the heavens broke out in song, not in Jerusalem, not at the opera, not in Manhattan, not in Los Angeles, but in a field with a few shepherds. See, God's always at work. He's never not been at work. But mostly people miss it because he works in unexpected ways. Things like stars and shepherds in the fields. But right now God's kingdom is growing. And it's growing right out of the foundation of Jesus. And some of that growth is probably coming in places we haven't looked. So if you're having a hard time this morning seeing where God is moving, a couple things. Number one, why don't you start looking in a new area? Especially look in places where you've been disappointed. Especially look in places uh, where the people aren't cool and nobody wants to be. Uh, Look look along the lines of the poor. Look along the lines of the weak. And look along the lines of the defenseless. Look in those places. You will find God at work. You will find God at work. Every single time. The second thing we need to do is begin to ask God to open our eyes to see what he's already doing. Which means we have, to, we have to learn how to not overlook small things like babies and weak things like babies. It's interesting that Jesus shows up as a baby. He didn't have to, but he did. You, you understand that God was under no contract to send his son as a baby. He could have been born 30 years old. He could have been born forty eight years old he could have been born one hundred and seventy eight years old. He could have come riding a golden dragon <laughs> i 've read the book. No one has a contract on God. no one twists his arm and makes him make him do anything so if if God sends his son as a baby, then he does so because he wants to and if he wants to, then we should ask the question why why the big question why it's is pointing at a big answer, which is he likes doing things small and hidden and insignificant. He likes to hide things right under our noses. But we should look for growth, because growth is a natural byproduct of health. Healthy things grow. This idea that God's kingdom is laid on the foundation of Jesus, and that it's going to grow and just keep growing, um, it also points to a subtle reality of existence. Uh, this is a reality that makes me really happy some of it's just my temperament. It'll be unsettling to some people in the room, but it makes me happy. And the reality is this. It's the reality that there's always a possibility for something more. If God's kingdom is going to grow, and if there's going to be no end to the growth, then that means at a foundational level (laughs) that there is always the possibility that something new could happen in God's kingdom. See, I was born with a restless heart. It drives my wife crazy it's my favorite song <laughs> last week it was the kids this this sunday it's the cell phones who hate me <laughs> you know but i i can just roll with the punches it's not a big deal oh yeah here we are it points to the fact that there's always this possibility that there's something new that could happen at any moment uh the reality that God's kingdom is growing and that the growth is never going to end, it means that not everything has been done. I know that you've heard that everything's been done. Everything hasn't been done. Uh, Not everything that needs to be done has been done. Not everything that can be done has been done. Not everything that should be done has been done. Like, the future is wide open. Wide, wide open. There's a sense in which that Jesus is the foundation... And as the foundation, he's the start of something. And that beginning is going to grow and it's going to stretch and it's going to touch every part of the universe. God is dreaming of a Jesus-shaped universe. And it's particularly arresting for me because it shatters whatever notion that you or I may have that the good stuff has already been done. I'm here to tell you the good stuff has not already been done. I'm telling you that not all of the good stuff has been done. I'm telling you a lot of the good stuff has been done and it doesn't mean that the best stuff is not yet to come. It's the amazing part of God's kingdom. It means that if you've had a terrible life or whether you've had a good life, it means that every single person can have hope because there is a bright, bright future. There is a bright future. God's kingdom is going to increase and there's going to be no end. It means that the future is not static. Uh, For people who are like me, a little bit antsy, it means that the future is not boring. Of the increase of His government, there will be no end. Your life and my life was meant to lean into the possibility of joining God to do something brand new there 's a really good chance that if you travel with jesus at all there 's a really good chance that if you spend some time traveling with Jesus in your life and you don 't give up that he will that he will lead you into a hard ninety degree turn that you never imagined that you would take. This is part of what it means to be jesus with jesus uh, you know peter james and and those guys Peter James and Andrew they, they were fishermen. they woke up every single morning really early they went out and they threw nets in the water and they smelled like rotten fish and sweat. And imagine that. Rot fish guts and sweat. And there's no, no great shower. Imagine the buildup of fish guts and sweat on your body for weeks on end. And maybe you wash off in the ocean a little bit. And imagine you just do this for years and years and years. And you just, this is what you do. Your dad's a fisherman. Your granddaddy was a fisherman. Your great-great-granddaddy was a fisherman. Everybody you've ever known who was in your family was a fisherman. That's what you do. Until one day a guy named Jesus comes by and says, Hey, how would you guys like to not do that and follow me? And they do. It's amazing. The future is wide open. If you hang out with Jesus, there's a really good chance you're going to take a hard 90 degree turn somewhere and end up in a place you never imagined. I love that. That makes me that makes me happy. I hate doing the same things over and over again. Um, Historically, I've had a new job about every five years. Uh, I've been working here at this church for seven. I I don't know what that means. Maybe it's about time for me to go. I, I don't know. But I know that I get antsy and I'm looking for something new. Like, I love the idea of trying something new. Not everything has been done. And because it's growing and because the increase will never end, there's always a reason for hope. But also because it's growing, it means that things are always changing. Healthy things grow and growing things change. If you hate change, you're going to hate God's kingdom. If you hate it, you're going to hate God's kingdom. Like sometimes I meet people who have spent some time with Jesus and they, they mark off certain periods as like the glory days when God was really doing stuff. Like, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, during the Jesus movement, that's when God was really doing stuff. Yeah, that's when God was doing some stuff. No more and no less than He's doing now. Like, He's it's just changed. It's a different game. Like a mid-90s charismatic renewal. That was cool. That ain't what He's doing anymore. Doing a different thing. You think, well... You know, let's don't, let's don't make a golden calf of what he did for a few years. Because as soon as you do, you, you jump out of what he wants to do now and what he will do in the future. Like, let's keep going here. Healthy things grow, growing things change. Let's not make a golden calf out of six or eight years of what God did. Like, let's look at it and go, that was awesome, high five, let's move on. God is always doing something new. And so the question might be, how do we enter in? How do we enter into this kind of growth? How do we jump in with this kind of kingdom? Well, I believe the answer to that is an extension of Jesus' own heart and character. Isaiah says that the government rests on his shoulders. He's the foundation. Foundations are first. But they're also laid in the dirt. This is where we see Jesus' heart. This is this is a prophetic declaration about who Jesus is on many, many levels. When Isaiah says that the government will rest on his shoulders, he's saying that Jesus is the foundation, and foundations are the first thing you do, and they also go into the dirt. It's a twofold image it's an image of humility. Number one, that Jesus, who's the king of the universe, would lay off all of his God advantages. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Lay off all of his God advantages and take on human flesh. Imagine being the prince of the universe. Imagine that angels adore you. Imagine that everything you do is wonderful. Imagine that you have perfect friendship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Imagine not one argument. Imagine nothing nothing but pure bliss. See, heaven is pure bliss. The God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, they live in eternal bliss. Imagine living in eternal bliss and imagine taking all of that, setting it aside, and entering into the chaos and confusion of the world, taking on flesh. Part of what the incarnation means is that Jesus, in some way, stepped into time and space. Imagine getting tired when you've never been tired. Imagine being hungry when you've never been hungry. This is part of what it means to be the foundation of God's kingdom. It means you go first. It means you get laid into the dirt. The first dirt that Jesus was laid into was the dirt of our own humanity. He's the second and last Adam. He took on flesh. He was reformed and born just like one of us. But it also means being hidden. You often don't see a foundation. The foundations of God's kingdom are hidden in Jesus. And when you're hidden, if you're going to be hidden, especially when you've lived all of eternity in exaltation, it means that more than anything, you have a humble heart. You have a serving heart. Born in a barn, born to nobodies. See, the kings of the earth, they build great thrones, and they wear gold crowns, and they wear jewelry, and they have Armani suits, and they drive great cars. You know? It's it's unbelievable. So, for instance, the Egyptians... The Egyptians built great pyramids, some of which still stand today. They're over five thousand years old. Can you imagine? I want to go see those one day. The Egyptians built great pyramids, and American presidents. What do we do? American presidents? Uh, we we go we go and we take mountains and we blast uh, we blast our faces in them. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of arrogant. Mountains that existed for God knows how long, created by the very will and touch of God, and we blast our faces in them, and we rule, and we lord over creation. It's just sort of my opinion about it. You might think Mount Rushmore is great. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm just saying it says something about who we are, doesn't it? It says something profound. Egyptians build pyramids. American presidents blow up nature to expand our faces. And Donald Trump builds massive towers with his name in tall letters, tall golden letters. Last fall, Magnolia, my little girl and I, we went and spent a few days in Manhattan. And we strolled around the Trump Tower. And you can be as far as, depending on where you're at, 40, 50 blocks away. Depending on where you're at. Not all the time, but you can be be so far away. You can be a significantly expensive cab ride away from the Trump Tower and you can see it. And it has giant gold letters that says Trump on all sides. And then this fall, my son Seth and I, we went and hung out in Chicago for a few days to eat great food and look at art. And right on the Chicago River, uh, one of the tallest buildings in Chicago is Trump Tower. And in, in letters that are bigger than any person, giant, giant, giant silver letters right on the Chicago River so that any picture you take on the bridge there, what you see is Trump. This is what kings of the earth do. But Jesus serves as the foundation of God's Eden project. He went into the dirt. Born in obscurity. Born a baby. Utterly weak. Allowing others to come later. Come and add their own part. And he holds up the work. Like Peter came later and did his part. And Jesus holds it up and says, That's great. It'll last forever. Paul comes later, does his part. Jesus holds it up and says, That'll last forever. I'll take it. And this is a picture of strength. If God's kingdom is going to grow and never end, if Jesus is the foundation, then how strong must the foundation be? See, the kingdom of heaven is trying to tell us something about what is actual strength. What is actual strength? Actual strength is service, actual strength is humility. Actual strength is hiddenness. Actual strength is going first and making a way for others. And somehow, somehow or other, it looks a lot like peace. Now, I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. Imagine that you're the strongest person in the universe. Imagine that you're the king of the universe. Imagine that you're the queen of... Of the universe. Imagine that you're the master of everything up to and including death and the grave. If that were you, if it were me, there's a good chance that peace would not be high on our list of values. There might be peace. There might be peace. But it would be the sort of peace that's born of fear. Because you and I were the strongest. We make people do what we want. But this is not Jesus' way. I have a question for you. Because I think it's so interesting that Isaiah prophesies the coming of Jesus. The coming of his kingdom. And that his kingdom would increase. Now look at verse 7. This is interesting to me. Of the increase of his government and of peace. It's almost out of place. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I have a question. The question is this. How many times in world history have peace and an expanding government ever been linked? I'm not a historian. I've read a bit. But I'm not a historian. Talked to a few guys this week who are smarter than me. The consensus is not one time. Not one time. If you look at history, when kingdoms expand, you can almost always certainly be sure it's a bad deal for someone. See, we live in a nation of peace right now, but don't be fooled. It's only been good for some of us. It's only been good for some of us. The things that our ancestors did to Native Americans are unspeakable, and they're not taught in school. You actually have to go and look for it. It'll be words, the words that are used are words like resettled, You guys remember taking Kentucky history in fourth grade, right? Yeah. There's almost never in world history a collision of peace with an expanding government. It's sad. You see, peace in God's kingdom is not just an end result, it's a way of being. See, some of us think that America is a country of peace because we have peace right now. Maybe not. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's a faux end result. It's not a way of being. But in God's kingdom, peace is not just an end result. It's a way of being. Otherwise, you end up with a kingdom which may look peaceful, but might actually just be a manifestation of some people being rendered voiceless. The kind of peace that comes from Dominance. The kind of peace that comes where the end justifies the means. See, one of the reasons that we have a little bit of trouble with what I'm talking about this morning, one of the reasons that it offends us a little bit, especially as Americans, is because as Americans, we really do believe that the ends justify the means. That if some good thing comes at the end, then it doesn't matter how we get there. But that is never the case in God's kingdom. Never the case. As a good friend of mine, Eric Hurchin, is fond of saying, the way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. If you have to snuff people out, you've got a snuffing out people kingdom. That's what you have. No matter what it looks like right now, that's what you have. And God's kingdom is one where the ends are not always in line with the means. The means are everything in God's kingdom. For instance, some people are probably like, I don't know if I believe this. Okay, great. Try this on. When Jesus is baptized, it says that the spirit came on him and he went out to the desert. And this is where he was with the devil, right? And the devil's like, hey, how about this? Why don't you just tell those stones to become bread? Or, hey, why don't you throw yourself off of a tower? Or, hey, how about this? How about you get all the kingdoms of the world if you will worship me, right? And Jesus says no to all of them. Why? Because the ends don't justify the means. The way it happens is terribly important in the kingdom of heaven. Now, make no mistake. Kingdom peace, this kind that grows with God's government, did cost somebody something. It's not a fairy tale. It actually cost Jesus his own life back into the dirt again. Doing his foundational work. See, there's two aspects of Jesus' dirt foundational work. One, the incarnation becoming a man. Two, death, burial, and resurrection. Back into the dirt. By the way, this is all stuff nobody wants to do. (laughs) Given the choice, we're like, no, get me out of here. See, the kingdoms of this world, they come and they grow by force. It's get in line or else. But God's kingdom comes by Jesus, and Jesus is a lover of peace. He's a man of peace. He's a man who would rather do the dirty work than have the dirty work done. He's a man who would rather forgive than judge you. This is amazing. This is part of what's so amazing about the cross. He's a man who would rather die than see you die. Laying down his life without without coercion. See, church, this is one of those areas where we need to open up our ears and we need to wipe the sleep right out of our eyes. The kingdoms of this world, they grow by extracting life. Every single time. Uh, Any of you guys done any reading on what's happening in Dubai? You guys know where Dubai is? It's in the middle of the desert little piece of property that was nothing but sand. They built this great city out of it, right? It's one of the wonders of the world. Some of the biggest, most amazing buildings. and uh, It's one of the most modern cities in the entire world. It's in Dubai. It's built with oil money. It's unbelievable. Except it's being built on the backs of modern day slaves. But we don't want to talk about that, man. See, the kingdoms of this world, they grow by extracting life. But God's kingdom comes by giving life. And when we talk about giving life, we mean the very life of Jesus. God's kingdom comes by laying down his own life. The kingdoms of this world, they expand on the backs of the weak and the powerless. But God's kingdom comes on the back of his own son. And the kingdoms of this world, they come by force. But God's kingdom comes by invitation. Jesus has never made anyone do anything, and he never will. Let that scramble your eggs for a while. Jesus has never made anyone do anything. Why? Because his kingdom is by invitation. He didn't tell Peter, you have to follow me. He says, hey, come with me. I'll make you fishers and men. It's an invitation. And then we see in John chapter 1, when the disciples get excited about him and they want to go get some other disciples, uh, one of the guys is like, I don't know. And they look at him and they say, come and see. It's this little phrase. It's all over the gospel of John. Come and see. Invitation. Why? Because the kingdom of, of heaven does not come by coercion. It comes by invitation not by force. Last question of the morning. Look at Jesus and tell me what fault you can find with him. Look at Jesus and tell me what fault you can find with him. What fault can you find with his ways? What fault can you find in his person, in his character, laid in the dirt? Humble Jesus. Trust that Jesus. Trust him that he would not lie to you. Ever ever. Amen. 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 Everybody good? Good. Hey, why don't you stand? We're going to just wait on the Lord for a moment as we close out this meeting. See what, let's just wait on the Lord for 2 minutes. We're just going to wait on. We're not even going to pray. We're just going to we're going to rest before him. two minutes isn't two minutes a long time when you're being quiet (laughs) it's crazy oh hey while we're just waiting on the lord i I feel like the lord maybe wants to do a couple things before we break up here um anybody this is i don't even know if you don't want to raise your hand come up to me afterwards we'll pray Uh, anybody here having major family drama that just needs like help Anybody else? Just put your hand right here. Anybody else? Like like drama. That's the word. Family drama. Okay, cool. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. Also, uh, anybody here here this week had like, um, I I hope this is, maybe, hopefully you're not here. Anybody here had pneumonia? Anybody walking pneumonia? Anybody? Is that you? If it's you, I want to pray for you felt like there may be a pneumonia person here. Mm. We had some people healed for a service. It was really fun. Uh, why don't we do this? If if any of these words are for you, will you just put your hand back up and we're going to have the room pray for you. Just put your hand up. We're going to get some people who know how to pray. Nice and high, right here. Can we get some people over here? Anybody, everybody who knows how to pray for people, find some of these people right here who have their hands up right back here. Hey, Peter, will you come pray for this guy right over here? T-shirt guy. There you go. Find out what they need prayer for and yay. Father, we love you in this room. You're wonderful. Help us. Amen. Hey, see you guys tonight. Give somebody a high five and a hug.